the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 85, recorded Friday, April 5th, 2013. Rabbit Trail. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host and your tour guide for at least the next 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, with us this week uh, is Paul Debersmith. Paul is the Global Business Development Manager for the AV Market for Cisco. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Steve Greenblatt. He is the president and founder of Control Concepts. How are you, sir? Great, Tim. How are you? I am well. And last but not least, uh, his name is George Tucker. He is known everywhere as George Tucker. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's the engineering coordinator for World Stage, a, an incredible and prolific blogger, a writer, and uh, and probably one of my three or four right hands. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. I also like the assistant bottle washer number two. I thought you. I thought I was number two. You're number one. Um, oh, jeez. All right. Um, I hate that because that means <laughs> that means I'm responsible for something. Um, this week we're going to talk about Panasonic and an interesting little thing called color splitting. We'll find out what that what that means. Uh, the FCC is going to sell off your your wireless mic uh, frequency. Trust me, they are because they're the devil. Uh, and also, uh, we're going to talk about an article that the aforementioned Mr. Tucker wrote about AV and IT uh, conversion. But first, let's beat up on our old buddy Sony uh, for a couple minutes. And I beat up, I say, I kind of tongue-in-cheek. They have announced that they are going to do some restructuring. Um, back in the 80s, they called it downsizing. And I, should, I shouldn't say downsizing. They, they, you know, what they're doing is they're taking two different... Uh, divisions, the Asian um, uh, part of Sony Computer Entertainment and the Japanese units, and they're taking it and putting it into one. Uh, we'll start with the only person here that works for a multinational corporation. That would be you, Paul. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, is this a good, I mean, I shouldn't say it's a good idea because you're not on the inside of Sony, but kind right. of from the outside looking in when it comes to, you know, Sony having some some missteps here over the last three or four uh, or five years when it comes to some of their products. Do you think maybe this is a good idea? Is this a good a, a thing where they are recognizing that? And so, hey, we're going to streamline this or it is, you know, they're bailing out the, the sinking ship. I, you know, I definitely don't want to don't want to touch the sinking ship thing. But yeah. I, I see, you know, a lot of companies do that. I mean, and, and actually I can speak for for Cisco. We do. You know, you have to pull people together at some point. Uh, one of the things like what we're doing right now is we're taking what was you know, the WebEx and the Jabber and the telepresence and voice and all that and putting into kind of one group that's called collaboration. So at some point you do see a lot better economies of scale and speed of, of integrating products and if you pull them all together kind of on the same team. So that could be what you're seeing here. I don't, obviously, like you say, I'm not inside of Sony. I don't yeah. know. But um, you can save money. You can move faster. You can, you can do lots of things by pulling different groups together. And that may be what's up. So, they're, again, you're not inside. But kind of you know, mm -hmm. get everybody on that has been doing 
similar things, but in different areas, get them all together and get them all kind of rowing the same way. Right. And, and I, again, using Cisco as an example, uh, things like WebEx used to be its own island over here. And, you know, what we came in with Tanberg and Telepresence, and that used to be its island over here. And, and there was, you know, there wasn't enough um, interaction between the groups. And now you put them all together and there's a lot of interaction going on. So it, it helps us move faster and smarter and better. Uh, and, and in some cases, that's what's required. George, do you so. think that this is maybe you know, Cisco, you know, Cisco, uh, Sony's you know, way to kind of do what Paul said, streamline here? Or is it, you know, not the last dying gas, but, but, a, but a, a more um, strategic move on their part? Well, I, I think Paul's got a lot, to, a lot there. But I also think that there's something we've talked about a lot, which is they're getting out of certain markets. They're reducing their flat panel productions. They're not doing as much. And they've had a number of catastroph catastrophic uh, rollouts, <laughs> everything from their MP3 players to, well, name product here. Crystal uh, LED. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Just everybody shout Sorry. one out because we've all got one or two, I'm sure, that we could mention. Mini disc. Uh, and I think, yeah. <laughs> Mini disc. Mini disc. Did somebody go away? I don't know. Kind of sounded like it, didn't it? Yeah. It did. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, mini, well, you know, Minidisc actually did well for a while in some of the semi-pro markets, like the semi-pro uh, recording studios. It was their DAT tape for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, I think there's a little bit more to just, you know, hey, let's condense, let's consolidate, let's make efficiency. I think there's a need for it because some of those factories that were out there doing stuff were only doing doing multiple things and only a small part of it was now left over from after they said, hey, we're done with all this other stuff, we're not making this. Just like in Detroit, certain factories closed or consolidated and certain vendors had to move around because we're not doing those anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it is a harbinger of a little bit of them attempting to recover from some bad times. Beta. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yes, but, <laughs> but again, beta. You're talking home. In the pro market, in the production uh, yeah, yeah. market, beta cam still digital still, beta cam is used no, no, not even not even digital some of it's also analog um yeah even, we still have some yeah. bvw 78s around the shop well here's mm -hmm. the weird thing this is a small rabbit trail and then we'll get back to it i swear yeah. uh in st louis uh which is where i'm based uh a number of the right uh, tv stations still uh if you're buying if you're like if you go out and you're you know schnooks which is our local supermarket if they have a a a commercial made and, and they want to you know bring it to them as, as a, a third party you know production house made this uh, if it's not digital if it's a, not a digital file they want it on, on beta uh, hmm. still so it's like oh hmm. oh really that's interesting so yeah and some of the guys still shoot well, on beta you know actually I, I, that goes back to, to my days when I was with Panasonic for almost 10 years and we were we were going against Sony toe to toe in the broadcast and television market and uh, yeah, we, we could really do some history there well, but they, and going they, back to the nonlinear days or the days before nonlinear and that kind of thing. But Paul, the one thing that Panasonic did was that they started uh, kind of a, a, a mini revolution with with the the solid state drives, right? The solid state recording. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I lived through that. In that, it used to be the days where the the only people that could really put content out that was worthwhile had it, you know, hundred hundred thousand dollar AB roll systems with mm -hmm. tape decks. God forbid. You know that actually had tape. Uh, now, I mean, and that all moved to nonlinear quickly, to where the tape deck just disappeared. Because it was a pain in the mm -hmm. butt. That's why. 
<laughs> oh yeah, and it, it was very limiting. I mean, you you ended up saying that's good enough on an AB roll, you know, editing system because you just didn't want to have to go back and fix it. And when you got to to nonlinear editing, it was just it was so much easier to do things that it actually caused problems in that the, the the some of the technicians were saying they you know this guy because he can he will go back and and redo things over and over and over again. Yes. So, but it, but it really revolutionized things and. One of the, I, you know, it's just kind of an aside, but one of the things that was kind of funny back then was everybody was convinced that it was all about the quality. And if you didn't have the high definition quality and the beta cam and all that kind of thing, that no one would watch it. And in retort, I now hand you YouTube with a cat hanging off of, you know, <laughs> a, 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 you know whatever, off a ledge or something like that. They will watch it if the content interests them. And it's really amazing how that whole thing has changed. It, it, it really is, because I was in some of those same conversations that you're talking about, where yeah. it has to be it, HD, and it has to be, you know, first generation. You can't record it three or four or five times and lose a generation uh, mm -hmm. in dumbing it down, or dumping it down, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what's amazing to me at the time, too, was how, you know, I kind of just getting a little bit off subject, but, you know, in when we move to the internet world and the YouTubes and all that, that someone can produce something in their basement and within minutes have it to millions of people around the world. It's phenomenal that, that things have changed that way. Yeah. And so. All right, we're, we're, we're going to get back on real quickly. Uh, Steve, <laughs> Steve, uh, Sony, is this a good plan for them to, to consolidate, to consolidate uh, these two uh, these two groups together. I mean, let's be honest about it. The Asian uh, unit and the Japanese unit, geographically, they're they're right next to each other. Uh, technically, the Sony Computer uh, Entertainment units here, they do the exact same thing. Is this a good streamlining uh, move by, on their part? I'd have to say that that they they're probably looking to salvage what what's what they can at this point and and you know obviously sony sony and and they're they're not really going away but i'm sure that samsung and being also in in that part of the world has put a, a big impact on them as well and uh, i i have to believe that they're, they're looking at at this consolidation as some way of, of regrouping and, and trying to see what they can do to to survive, um, you know, I, as, as much as that that sounds maybe a little harsh, uh, really, I, I don't think that they've done anything that that's been so earth shattering lately. Can I, and this is to anybody here, and, and you don't have to answer it if you don't want. Has Sony become an also ran in the world of the Samsung um, when it comes to let's say Asian, the Asian market manufacturers? Because of not just not this story, but the fact that their displays haven't you know haven't taken off the last few years, uh, they did at one time have a number of mobile phones and mobile devices, and those haven't really taken off. In the '90s, they were one of the first e-readers, and and nobody remembers that anymore because you know we've got the Kindles and we've got the iPads. Have they just kind of been the squirrely little cousin in the back room, and just they're just there? Absolutely. Next question. Okay. <laughs> you know, they taught me in broadcast school not to, an not to ask yes and no questions, and I just yeah. haven't learned. Well, I, I'll, I'll throw <laughs> one out, which is, um, I don't have all the, all the data and the facts, so don't, don't hold me exactly to this. But Neither the, do we. But the speed that, people move, that companies move off of Fortune 100 used to be um, that it would, you know, you'd last there for 50 years or something like that. And now the speed that people are moving off of Fortune 100 list and then sometimes going away entirely 
and being replaced by new companies is moving at a, at a lightning speed. And so you will see companies, I'm not saying that's what's happened to Sony, but you'll see companies that were, it's like, how can they possibly fail? We'll go away. Um, and, and it's just, and we, that's the norm now, not the exception. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's neat for guys like us who get to sit back and watch it. I have to imagine it is absolutely frightening for people in boardrooms <laughs> that just go oh, watch it. Or because you, you, you don't have the cycles now of, of how quickly you have to adapt and move to the market yeah. is like you say, it's frightening. You, you can't be big, huge, pondering, slow, you know, and expect to survive. Right? It, you, it's interesting you you mentioned that I, I read an article in the last couple of days about the Jay Leno and 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 uh, not Jimmy Kimmel. Um, what's his Fallon? Fallon, thank you, Jimmy Fallon. Um, and I'll get around to that. It, trust me, it'll make sense. Um, and the article went on to, s- to talk about the fact that you know after 2014 or during 2014, Jimmy Fallon's going to take over for Jay Leno. Jay Leno's kind of sort of being pushed out, um, and you can read you know what he's saying one way or the other. But they mention the whole social media thing, right? And the fact that Fallon has 8 million followers and Conan O'Brien has 8 million followers. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, by comparison, I think has 3 to 4 million followers. Jay Leno and David Letterman, neither one have a Twitter account, right? Um, Leno has the Tonight Show official Twitter account, but he doesn't use it. Somebody, one of his, one of his people do. And it... It's it's the it's the whole thing of you know like Paul said you have to be able to adapt to the environment that you're in you have to be able to move along and I'm not saying that that Twitter is the end all to be all or Facebook is or, or Google Plus or whatever but that is kind of the world that we're living in whether it's AV or it's Hollywood or it's or it's whatever you know we are in a uber uber interconnected you know society where if you don't have people that you're connecting to on Twitter or on Facebook or on some level then the powers that be will look at you like you're a dinosaur, right? And sure. just 20 years ago, Leno was the great panacea after after Johnny Carson left. So it's just interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, I think from a corporation point of view, you're looking at something uh, in the order of can they long tail it or are they still the behemoth that relies on maybe an ecosystem, but that ecosystem's not tied in the way that these innovators who have taken over from them, the Apples, the Samsungs, and, and the, and the you know, streaming people, that they missed. They were still relying upon the old technology. I mean, how long did it take Sony to put out a digital open reel recorder, alone an optical recorder, back in the 90s? No, no, this is still good, and it just took them over. And I think it's, again, it's being nimble and not relying upon that infrastructure to make mammoth network systems rather than the ecosystem concept, and they just missed it. Well, is some of that, yeah. though, the size, though, of the company themselves? I mean, Paul mentioned the, the speed at which people come out on and off the, the Fortune 100. You look at the the sizes, and I'm not just talking about you know the the company size, but the the type of business these people are and, and and what they are. You know, you've got Facebook, which is worth billions of dollars, and you can argue whether or not that's true. You have Google, who is still worth billions of dollars, and Apple. All these guys are are, are technology giants, and they are responsible for creating the technology that we all work on and live and breathe, and their nimbleness is incredible when you compare it to J.P. Morgan or Sears or, you know, some of these other stalwart stalwart companies who are not maybe necessarily as flexible and as quick 
um, that is quick to move when it comes to new stuff and new technology. And, and Sony, I think, unfortunately, I would put them in the you know trying to trying to uh, steer a battleship category and not a speedboat. And that's very very possible. What what you're seeing here is that phenomenon where they they just can't move as quickly as is necessary to stay in the market. Yeah. And and it's going to be tough for for a lot of manufacturers to keep up because you don't have years to bring product to market any longer. I mean, it's it's sometimes in in the sense of months that you have to bring something to market to stay in the game, um, and that's tough. You know that. It is tough, especially when you do you do you don't have the you don't have the ability to uh, to to research and development like you used to. Um, yeah. yeah, or or you use that technology you were just describing. In a lot of cases, you can do things much faster than we could have even 10 years ago because you do have the data right there. You do have the ability to do it. Um, it depends on what it is that, you know, what your product is that you're bringing to market. But I think in, in most cases, I know we're going to move over to conferencing, but you know, you can pull subject matter experts from all over the world and be on the same call at the same time and get things done much better than we could have 20 years ago or even 10. So it's possible but you've got to think in those terms. Of, you know, you've got to be ready for this. You do, because <laughs> if you don't, oh, good lord, you're going to get your lunch eaten. So, oh yeah, yeah, and quickly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, you know, I think one of one of the biggest ones they like to bring up is Kodak. In in most cases, I mean, they they owned things. I mean, let's face it, they owned it. They didn't move fast enough, even though I think they were the first ones to bring out a digital camera. They mm-hmm. didn't act on it. Absolutely, and they developed it. What was it back in the seventies? Mm-hmm. The 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, and it was, you know, it didn't have much storage, but it did do something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's now you can buy a, not a Kodak, but now you can buy a, pan, uh, a, um, a Polaroid flat panel if you want. Sure. It's not made by Polaroid, but their name is on so, it. So it, it comes down to, I mean, this, this is maybe what we're seeing out of Sony is that they're, you know, they're going to, have to struggle to stay current and relevant and, and all that. It's just like most manufacturers. I mean, Cisco, same thing. You've got to reinvent yourself almost you know, every year to stay in the game. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, uh, we're going to step off and do another uh, story here real quick. Uh, you're listening to AV Week. That gentleman there is Paul Deppersmith from Cisco. George Tucker is here from World Stage and Steve Greenblatt uh, from Control Concepts. This comes to us from Mashable. Uh, George, the court, the story is the court rejects the broadcaster's attempts to shut down Arrow. Uh, and if you don't know what Arrow is, it's a funky little program that lets you um, watch over the air broadcast. Um, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit in a two to one vote upheld a lower court's denial of an injunction request against Arrow from, and I know this will shock you, CBS, NBC, and ABC. Dun, 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 on copyright. And PBS. Right? And P- PBS, yes. PBS. Channel 13, yeah, up here in New York. Well, it's Channel 9 here, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> here's here's the issue that I've got with this, and, and it's not, I'll ask you first of all, uh, is this kind of a good thing for guys, you know, for guys like Arrow, and, and honestly for, for cord cutters and for the public in general? Yes, I think so. And that's, again, a personal opinion because well, what happened? What, first of all, let's talk about the court ruling. What did they say was legal about this? Well, what Arrow does, as is, is we've tried to describe, is they take an off-air transmission with an individual micro antenna and they transmit that via a stream to the subscribing client for a couple of bucks a month. 
$8 a month for most, $1 a day if you want and only need a short term. So they're taking that. And as I understand it, they're not adding anything other than their own network bumpers on it, just saying you're watching this via the Arrow you know, network. So they're just simply taking an off-air public, sh- public uh, broadcast and streaming it to subscribers who want it streamed to them because those services aren't streaming it to them. All the ads are still there. All the other content's still there. So I still say, yes, it is disruptive because what it says is I need to get my local news. I don't want to spend 85 to 150 bucks a month for cable with a bundle of channels that I don't want, don't watch, don't need. And then I'll go to Netflix. I'll go to Voodoo. I'll go to Roku. I'll go to Hulu and watch the other content that I want. In that sense, it's very disruptive because what it does is it gets past what is really the bigger biggest profit for networks and for cable is the retransmission and subscription fees that other networks or other cable companies have to, what were they called, carriage fees, I think, mm-hmm. to, to, to do. So I personally like it. You can't get it where I am. I'm just out of sight of New York. But I would do it in a flash because I know I can watch other stuff. I have NHL package. So I watch it streaming. I don't watch it on TV. Um, and, and I would just get my local news through that and do all my other content watching via the other, the other streaming models. Well, and here's the other thing that I find fascinating. This is what this is how cable started, right? This is not, exactly. Uh, this is nothing new for the for the U.S. Uh, cable started, honestly, if you believe all the you know urban legends, up in the hills of, of Pennsylvania, when you know you're you've got one tower and it doesn't reach over the massive giant hill, uh, two towns over. So you had somebody capturing the over the air broadcast converting it to some sort of modulated signal and running cable down into the town. That sounds awfully familiar to me. Uh, sure. Paul, is this kind of yeah. a, is this a, like a, a, a strike for people who are, who are card cutters? Uh, oh, absolutely. I, and quite honestly, I read this and I was like, why would they not want this? You know, as, as the major networks, it gets people, you know, to, to still see the same thing. And like you say, they're not cutting out, commercials and trying to insert their own so the money's still there yeah. I, I couldn't quite see where their problem with it um so uh, yeah i think it's it is the the people who like uh, i just saw something a couple of days ago in the atlanta paper that the there's people in the in the airlines paths that their uh off air is being disrupted when a plane flies over well gosh people like that they'd they'd love to have this oh yeah um so, I mean, I can't see the real problem with it. And I, I guess somebody would have to really explain to me why this is a bad thing for the networks. It's bad because they don't control it. So I, I guess so. It, it and they're like a, a repeater. Yeah. You know? And they're losing a revenue stream now, which is the retransmission carriage fees that they so rely on. Well, it's, it is because... I guess they, they lose it anyway, don't they, if it's, if it's coming in over the air? Um, I mean, if, yes. if it's the, if it's somebody picking it up with a little satellite on their house versus, or, or a little, uh, you know, pickup versus this, they're really not losing anything, are they? No, I mean, they're not, the, the if these people had it, you know, in, in them, the technical, the technological, um, ability to do this, they could go on to the roof or, or someplace else and, and put up a, a digital antenna if they wanted. Well, I think what you've got here is the, uh, the face palm moment. It's, oh, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It seems like a no-brainer, actually, uh, and I I would encourage it. You know, as a matter of fact, could you spread it to more people? Is the way I'd look at it. Um, if as long as you're showing off our commercials and and doing everything straight through, I was like, that's great. That that helps. 
Steve, is this you know is this a good thing for for guys that are are trying to to uh, to court, cut the cord as it were? I think it provides yet another alternative, uh, and and it it kind of complements that a la carte model that, that George was mentioning, and we've talked about many times before, where you, you pick and choose what you want and and kind of make your own package, and and uh, you know I, I'd I'd have to think that the service has a lot of value and and it it really is the the one missing link in in being able to have your real time news your your live programming and, and uh everything else you you can watch on demand or or at any time you want um but but having the network channels some people need to watch things live whatever it might be whether a sporting event or an awards show or the news uh you know the, this this component really kind of fills the void and, and puts together the complete package with with all the other streaming services nobody needs to watch award shows live and just <laughs> my wife would differ with you as a matter of fact starting at two o'clock in the afternoon would be best <laughs> if if billy crystal hosts again then maybe but you know, okay i don't know uh this comes to us from the new york new york times of course it does because we're talking about broadway but um, before those of you in, in my area of what they call flyover country, tune out. Ple- believe me, this will affect you as well. Mm. The Federal Communications Commission is considering plans to force the users of cordless microphones, i.e. wireless microphones, not only Broadway producers, but also mega churches or any other church, really, for that matter. Uh, the National Football League, um, your local YMCA, your local college to move to a less desirable spot on the nation's airwaves the fcc i.e the devil backed by congress hopes to (laughs) auction most of those prime airwaves now used by singers preachers and coaches to data gobbling smartphone companies potentially for billions of dollars uh george you're my live guy so we'll um we'll start with you again on this one uh how big of a deal is this uh it's huge it's huge it's huge. Now, I mean, when you're talking about, say, the colleges or the occasional church or two, and maybe even some of the mega churches, okay, it's not such a big deal. For the mega churches, it might be, but it's not such a big deal. But when you're dealing with a very compact theater district like New York or public performance venues that are packed into major urban centers, we're already really tight on RF frequencies. I mean, there's a physical limit. I mean, that damn Newton, he, he came up the laws and we can't break them. So, we have a problem here where these 600 to 700 megahertz frequency sets that are part of the analog television, get the heck out of there, go to digital, please, on a different frequency set, is really, really being salivated over by cell phone people because they want to stop their dropouts, they want to offer more services, they want money, 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 right? And there's a whole host of things that they want to do. But to to Broadway or any performing arts the range of frequencies they want to push them to are not as kind to the frequencies needed for singing and performing arts stuff. Any of the harmonics, any of the musical stuff is not going to sound as good. It will have to be processed in order to compensate for that, which doesn't really do anybody any good. To the FCC, this is really nothing. They're, you know, they're like, you're a piddling little industry. But if they do this, you will start to see 
people wearing a microphone around their neck with a wire on it because you just can't do it in a lot of these <laughs> venues. A typical theater uses about 30 to 40 wireless transmission systems in this range per venue. In a place like New York, there's like 40 or 50 theaters within a square two, four, two to four blocks. And it's a lot of work. I mean, I work with some RF guys. You look at your frequencies every night. You have a spectrum analysis machine. You make sure because you don't want somebody else's performance coming through yours or vice versa or the taxis coming in. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a, and I'm getting impassioned here, but it's really a problem where the FCC's really screwed up on this. They promised, I think, some corporations the right to do this. And now they don't know how to backpedal out of it because they've really foobarred a lot of professional industries. Yeah, they have. Uh, Steve, is this how big of a deal is this? Not only just for the the live staging event, but when it comes to any other wireless devices that we're that we're messing around with. Well, I, I, you know, I, I can see why they're doing it, but but I, you know, I, I George, George's argument, I, I think, it, it is is really uh, valid and 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 you know, very serious. <laughs> they're messing with some other industries that that depend on these wireless frequencies and to to make their living and to. And, and to survive and and pro- provide the the product that they're providing. So I I, I think it's something very serious, especially in in these metropolitan areas that that ha- have a, a lot of battling uh, demands. So. Paul, is this something where is it is is there a way maybe that we can make this make everybody happy, happy, joy, joy, and, and play together, both well, wireless you know computer things and and wireless mics. Well, in, in what you're describing here, I mean, the first thing that, frankly, that jumped in my mind was infrared. And, and I know there are people that are doing quite a bit really good things with, with infrared signals as opposed to, you know, the RF wireless. And I, I kind of have the feeling that when we're faced with something like this, that our technology will prevail, we'll figure it out. But, yeah, is it going to be a major issue? I'm Absolutely. Um, that's a big problem, but I got a feeling also that if we all put our heads together here, we're going to figure this one out. Um, but I, I could be wrong. So <laughs> well, no, I, it, it, it makes sense. I, uh, infrared is not something. Excuse me, that, that I had thought of before. So yeah, and I know. Uh, well, I'll, I'll mention his name, Russ Gettner, and I talked about this years ago. That that he's uh, he was real big on using, and he he's currently using it now in a lot of their products that are that are in. Uh, say secure areas where they don't want RF, and so they're able to use uh, multi channels, you know, all that type of thing with, um, you know, with infrared. And it's not the answer to everything, but I could see it in a church. I could see it, you know, I could see it in a. If they have to, they'll figure it out. So that's what I hope for, anyway. Yeah, and there there are a couple of of manufacturers who actually have got a couple different, you know, point to point, not multi channel, but 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 point to point. Uh, like George was talking about. Mm-hmm. So. All right. Uh, come to us from Slash Dot. Does Apple need to get serious about security? Uh, an article, actually, this the Slash Dot article references a, a, a Verge article about Apple uh, developing some of its cloud services. Um, Paul, we'll start with you again uh, on this. Does I mean the whole thing about Apple's and Macs? For years and years and years of the fact that they don't quote unquote get viruses and there's a reason for that because people didn't write viruses for them it mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily that they were oh so uber uber secure it's the fact that they didn't get them because people didn't have them written for them um are they getting to a point where they are a high enough profile um target where they're high, and they're, they're gonna have to to kind of uh buckle down and, and make this a, a real thing for them 
Well, I, absolutely. I mean, if they, you know, I don't know all the technology behind it and how hard it is to hack into, you know, an Apple system. But if they're vulnerable, then absolutely, they're going to have to jump in fast and get ahead of it because they they do have the cachet now. I mean, they're the ones that you know that kind of have a, uh, you know, a momentum going right now, and they're, they're a hot item, and that's what people like to hack. So, you know, yeah, how I could see it be a problem. You know how you hack a Mac? You you turn <laughs> no. it you turn it on. All right. <laughs> I'm here well, all... I mean, Go ahead. There's, some, there's something to this. I mean, and Steve, you can talk to this as well. Uh, Paul, I think you can, but maybe your position doesn't allow here. Um, this, is, this was actually, though, a very good example of social engineering. All you needed in these cloud things was a date of birth and I think a phone number, if I understand mm-hmm. corrected there. It was two simple pieces of information that you needed to call up or email and say, hey, oh, yeah, it was an email and your birth date. Those are not very hard things to find, especially in this age of social media where some people are just, they don't, they don't you know, stop that stuff from being published. It's social engineering. Hi, this is my email address. I've forgotten my, my, my password. Oh, here it is. Go ahead. And all it says is, this is not you. Please disregard or let us know. That's social engineering. They were not putting any real thought into security, which is just crazy these days. If you've got content, it should be a higher level of security and a harder way of getting there. I mean, look at the Facebook. That's the cell phone thing. Mm-hmm. If somebody gets into your account, we can call your cell phone or get to it. And that, because most people don't lose their cell phones in those cases. And that's sort of a fail safe. It's not the best in the world. It's not the you know, highest level of security. But man, oh man, is this just silly. I'll be better. It's stupid. And for such a company prideful on good craftsmanship and high tech excellence, this is just dumb, dumb, dumb. Steve. <laughs> What I got out of it was, was just just the, the potential damage that can be done. Wow. I mean, it, when I was reading and in, in, in thinking about the apps that you can get into and the and the find my phone and you can all of a sudden you could track mm-hmm. people. And I mean, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, that that's that's scary stuff. And, and to, to really just rely on on just some basic information like you said i mean it's almost like child's play like like they the like like they really weren't playing with the professionals here that you know nobody ever thought that anybody would get into and and try to crack their system i mean i i, I don't know what they were thinking either i mean i i happen to be investing a lot more in apple these days and using i, I enjoy the products and kind of have the whole family right now but i i this is this is kind of a, a sad state and, and a little disappointing yeah but it's enough it's enough to hurt them it is enough to hurt. they don't get on it yeah yeah that's a good point mm-hmm. uh this come to us from corporate tech decisions is the best article on AV and IT conversion I've ever read in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> and that check better be in the mail, Mr. Tucker. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all seriousness, my buddy George I'll, Tucker. I'll two nickels in an envelope. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, that'll cost you more than the two nickels. Never <laughs> to mail it. It's so sad. Uh, you, you start a conversation about AT and IV convergence. And mm. what's funny and interesting is I believe it was Infocom... O one or O two, mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh, that used that phrase for the first time. ITAV convergence. Um, take me through this, and you, the you, your, one of your first couple lines here uh, says uh, you re- references the fact that we used to live in a world where never the two the twain shall meet, uh, mm. where IT and AV were exclusive. You know, you've got your camp, I've got my camp, and 
you know, don't get your, your chocolate in my peanut butter. Um, yep. And now it is. You know, now your chocolate is in my peanut butter. So take us through this. Well, I was actually asked to, to write this and, and asked to write something that was for the end user, right? Because we're, we're seeing a lot of the corporate sort of administrators or coordinators for installations or new upgrades suddenly be in the middle of this conflict. The IT department is fighting with the AV guys, and they're really not understanding each other. And the article goes through a number of, and somewhat tongue-in-cheek and somewhat snarkily, some common things that are going to happen and that you need to know about that the conflict's going to rise to. Basically, what it comes down to is infrastructure use, uh, appropriate security measures and implementation of procedures, and dialogue. It's really what it comes down to. There's a lot of technical stuff in there that you can talk about from DHCP versus IP and streaming ports and whether or not the viruses can get in. But really what it comes down to is procedure. And one of the things that IT guys really feared is that these big black boxes that do all kinds of cool stuff, they're not the, the, the benign beige printers or monitors from the old days. They are very active very bandwidth uh, uh, hogging devices. And you get to the situations like, and I know Steve can talk to, well, both guys can talk to this very well. Yeah. You try to get somebody who says, look, why can't I just put my Roku or my BrightSign digital signage machine on the network to show everybody and do it in a day? I don't have to do something special. Well, man, oh man, does that take it down. There's a reason IT guys go, everybody off of YouTube, stop streaming the World Cup because our yeah. business network can't handle it. Yeah. So that's really what the article is about, is the dialogue of, AV guys and managers, here's what's going to concern them. And, and IT guys, okay, we get it. Help us start the dialogue to find a common ground. Uh, Steve, he's, George said you could talk to this, so let's, let's go for you and let's go for Paul. Uh, two network guys and two guys who can talk about this um, much smarter than I can. So take me, you know, what part of, what, what are some of the, maybe the pitfalls when it comes to Walking this out on a real, you know, a real world, a real world situation where you've got IT and they have to, you know, they 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 need AV for certain things, and so they're going to have to work with them. And the AV guys obviously need to work with the IT to get their stuff on the network. Mm -hmm. All right, Steve, you want to start? Sure. I, 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 I think that back when we first started doing this, it was about this big mystery as to what, what are these devices and why they need to be on my network. And we needed them to communicate. And that was a big thing. And, and then you, you're able to control, um, divide, control other components over the network. But the, the big thing right now is the passing of the video is just like George said. And when you think about it, um, what's what is the difference now between the, you know say a, a digital media system that's you know sits on the network and everything and, and everything is ip addressable and and computers now that are on the network and and all streaming video and, and uh, it's right right now i mean av is just about everything you know when you think about it it's you know the the network is um of course, the the uh, the the computers have to communicate with each other, and that that's the 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 heart of the network. But but really, what's stressing the network is, is all of the multimedia that that everybody is demanding these days. Yeah, and it, I I can go back before two thousand, and and you I remember going to a uh, presentation one time where the guy said, if you want to know where things are going, watch the bandwidth. Okay, watch the big players go in about the bandwidth, and he's 
everything's played out since then, that that's the game. It's, it's the real-time communications on the network that has changed. And so when I saw Infocom in the AV space, you know, quite frankly worried about being able to, to turn on or, or check the lamp life of a projector and, and getting all excited about it, it's like you're missing the big picture here. <laughs> this is, you know, it, it's going to be huge. And I think Cisco, I believe it's like 98% of network traffic in the next two or three years will be media, as you say, Steve. And... I, what I think I, what I, this is not, this is anecdotal. I, I can't put an absolute finger on it here, but I see the IT guys somewhat taking a breather right now. They're like taking, they're gasping almost because what used to be something in the AV world, where you put a codec on here and they had a VoIP system over here and they had digital signage every once in a while and it, it was manageable. It wasn't that big a deal. Now all of a sudden you're bringing iPads and you're bringing phones and everybody's watching the you know March Madness and and all this stuff. It can bring a, a complete network down, and I think what they're doing is they're saying, wait, 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 I, I this can't happen like it used to. We have got to get some kind of control around this, or we're going to bring our entire network down. So it's a big deal. So Paul, let me ask you this: as as the network part, is it where the demand is going to drive? Um, the upgrades or are the IT departments and the AV guys together going to say, hey, we see this this tidal wave heading our way. We need to upgrade now. Well, I, I think they're realizing now they've got to do something. I, I don't know that they fully know what to do, but they, they definitely see that I, I, it just can't go like it's been going. And we can't just let all these individual subcontractors come in and start throwing stuff on my network and expect it all to work right. So they are stepping back. Uh, I would also bring in, there's a, there's a show that some, a lot of people in the AV space have never heard of called Enterprise Connect, happened a couple of weeks ago down in, in Florida. And this was the old VoiceCon show. This was the, the VoIP world and the network world. And they have now switched over to video. So the keynote addresses were Cisco and Microsoft and Avaya and, and HP and, you know, all the big players are there. They're not talking rooms. They're, they're talking enterprise-wide deployment of BYOD and, and desktop and mobile everywhere video. And that, that's their discussion. And they think they're running things, <laughs> quite frankly. They, they don't even know there is an AV market. And so they're thinking they're going to drive all this. And they're looking at it from a big picture network point of view. And when they're talking like that, that means the IT guys are going to step back and go, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> this, this is something I got to deal with. So quite frankly, the AV part, if it were that easy, the IT guys wouldn't have much to worry about. It's much bigger than that. And, and they, they need to get ready for it. So let me ask a silly question. Are they running it? No, not yet. <laughs> okay. uh, no one is. Not uh, yet. I mean, not quite yet. honestly. Not yet, um, he says. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, they're in position right now. They're already running voice over IP networks, which is real-time communication over a network yeah. that is, you know, is really just a not much of a difference between running video over it. So if you can do that, you can do this. So they're positioned to do the enterprise-wide part. They're not positioned to do essentially when it becomes analog and has to go to a human. You know, you have to see it, hear it, and touch it. Yeah. They're not prepared to do that, which is still the space that the AV place needs to own big time. Um, but the enterprise-wide stuff is kind of the, that's the gold rush. That's, that's where people are headed. It's not, I, I wish I could say different, but it, 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 it may not be the room systems driving the, 
driving the train anymore. I'm, and it's it's going to be the enterprise-wide deployments. Well, and that, that is hmm. something that I've also seen for the last couple of years, with, whether it be um, I've seen a couple of different um, prototypes where you've got a transmitter which converts the audio or the video into you know ones and zeros, and, and you have a receiver at the other end, and it just mm-hmm. goes to the network, whether it's AVB or HDBase-T or, or, or something else. Um, mm-hmm. Well, you don't have switchers anymore, right? We just have, we right. just have these mm-hmm. little in-wall transmitters and receivers, and they just go everywhere. Yeah, so. and and that's kind of again at Enterprise Connect the big talk there, and I think I've got it right. It's Web WebRTC, I believe, is what the, I don't know if anyone's heard that, but but effectively it's a it's a thin client or no client that embeds inside of a, a browser. Uh, so you know, you're, you know, any of your browsers that you use on the computer would automatically turn into essentially a video conferencing system, and so now that opens it up to thousands, hundreds of thousands of people almost immediately can jump into this, and so it, it will get. That's going to be the gold rush. That's going to be the the thing that everybody's going to look at, and that's going to bring prices down. It's not all going to be custom rooms. Um, it's going to be software based in a lot of cases. And so it, it's a different world than what we'd known even four years ago, I think, in the conferencing space. It doesn't have to be though custom rooms. That's kind of the neat thing about it, right? Is Oh exactly. Mm-hmm. You you've got all these little individual pieces and yeah, here you go. You know, it, it's all kind of one thing. So right. but it'll drive rooms. I, I think that's what's gonna happen is the more people that are using it on on across the board, if they're they've got it on their phone and they've got it on their iPad, they've got it at home, they've got it everywhere else. They're going to walk into a conference room and go, what do you mean? I can't get four of my buddies together here and do a conference. What are you, crazy? Yeah. So I think it'll drive more rooms, um, and it'll drive more customer rooms in the long run. But the, the big gold rush is that enterprise-wide 1,000-seat deployment, 10,000-seat deployment that's going to be really interesting. So, Paul, I have a question. You don't see it going into parallel networks? Um, and I mean more than just, say, the Crestrons and AMX is saying, this is our cat our cat cable solution video run it on its own network and switchers but i know in many companies when they say okay we know that you're going to use mobile devices here's the wireless access point that you're allowed to go on and it has nothing to do with the business network is that because is that what you're you're describing going to eliminate this parallel universes that they've been coming up with lately it it seems to me i you know i I can't speak for cisco on this but i mean based on what Mm. i'm seeing it it seems to me like they're saying it's going to be just one network we're we're not going to have a a separate one that we deal with it's going to all be on that same network which again is what's freaking them out (laughs) if everything comes on that one network then it's critical that you get ahead of this and and that you don't you know let all of your employees essentially watching March Madness in the Final Four bring their network down. Hmm. Um, so it, it's, it's something they're going to deal with in the next probably two, two years. It's going to be a, a lot going on in that particular area, which AV could be involved in, but the, the way that AV typically is positioned right now may not be. So some of, some of the AV integrators have to think in terms of not the room system. If they want to play in this game, it's going to be more of a network play. Um, as opposed to a you know a room-based system, it will so, be a very interesting evolution the next, next few years. Yeah, and and it's not just. Uh, I think a lot of people are looking at the, the 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 who who touches it, who sets it up, and all that. What what I see in kind of in my world also is the the big network partners who have been introduced into this world now. 
and you did not used to care or even know about telepresence. They're in the game. I mean, so these are the dimension datas and the oranges and worldwide technologies and you, know, you name it. These are huge, huge companies, global footprints. They're in the game now. So, you know, everyone has to look in the AV space and figure out, okay, how, how is this all going to play? Well, that, that actually... I, I don't, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, that actually leads us into our, into our last story here, which is about uh, Infocom and IMCCA getting together at Infocom 2013 this year. Um, we're going to have products, and they're also going to have some training. Where does that leave us, Paul, when it comes to video conferencing and teleprinting? I mean, tele before yeah. I ask that, what... what terminology to, do you or does Cisco or, or both prefer? Is it telepresence? Is it video conferencing? Is it something totally different? It, it would be telepresence. Okay. But I think, and actually I just had the conversation this morning with someone else that, uh, that what I think what happened early on in telepresence was the assumption was there's a difference between immersive telepresence, which is the big room systems that are meant to mimic a room right on the other side. So the, the, the theory was that you were sitting right next to somebody the, where they were. Their room was done the same way, so it looks like you're sitting together. That's immersive telepresence, and that is a an application. Uh, but telepresence by itself has really kind of taken over the word video conferencing. So yeah. that means wherever. That means WebEx. That means, you know, that means uh, Jabber. That means all the portable, you know, all that kind of thing. That's okay. what we consider to be telepresence. Okay. That makes sense. And because that, that also doesn't that also kind of eliminate the the idea of a codec right out of the scenario where you're still talking about you know what I have audio and video you have audio and video whether or not there is a physical codec between us or there's a, a software based codec between us yeah okay I, again I'll, I'll I'll my personal opinion is that I I don't see hardware uh, based codecs going away in the room systems anytime soon. Uh, and, and there's a reasons that would probably take too long to go into, but I, I think you'll see that the, the personal, the mobile, the desktop and all that probably could go to a software based, uh, process, you know, relatively easy room systems. That's going to be tougher. Um, and so I don't know that that's going to be, some people will try it. I think you'll, you'll see a lot of people give that a shot and make it work. Um, but I, I think they'll come back to a dedicated, piece of hardware i think that runs in that room to do it my opinion so uh steve we mentioned the uh the the unified collaborative communication community connects you can say that five times fast uh at infocom 2013 uh where do you think we are when it comes to uh telepresence um in in the in the av industry i i you know i think this is a great way of us showing off what we can do and and uh really bringing this stuff to, to mainstream it's been around for a long time and and i you know i have to say i would three quarters of the systems that we work with have some sort of uh, telepresence in it uh, but I, I think what what's also something to look at is the more that we can use this in our businesses or, or in our daily communications, and, I, and I'm encouraging my company to do that, is that we, we, we talk about this stuff and we work with it all the time, but we need to invest in it. We need to see how we can use it to, to make our business better, whether it's for us to work remotely and have a technician out at a job site showing us what they're doing and, and diagnosing a problem or um, just having saving the travel and ha having, uh, you know, 
desktop conferencing uh, rather than going to a face-to-face meeting. I, I, I don't. I think as AV professionals, and and you know, I can't speak for everybody, but but I, I think that we we should be using it more. Yeah, I would I would agree with that, George. Where yeah. where are we at when it comes to this stuff? Is this years ago? You know, twenty years ago, we were using ISDN lines, we were using satellites. Um, in education, we used to call it distance learning, but it was all kind of the hmm. same stuff, right? It was, hmm. you know, you have a camera and and you have a monitor on both ends. So where are we now when it comes to telepresence? I think it's as Paul said, we're sort of it's somewhere in the middle right now. Um, I think more and more end user who may use the room with the hardware system are doing it at home. I mean, we all Skype with the grandparents. We all use these different tools to to do what's basically teleconferencing. Uh, we can do multiple people at once. Nowadays, Skype requires the paid one for that, but it's not that much money. Um, and I think there's an in-between point. And I think some of the big rooms, like Paul says, will stay. But I think a fair number of smaller companies will start with that 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 software solution and may grow with it as far as they can, maybe too far, <laughs> but they will go as far as they can and, and we'll see. You're going to see a shakeup and you're going to see a, a marriage of the two in some form, but I think the software side will win over the hardware eventually. Yeah, eventually, but I, I think I also agree with Paul where it's not going to be, especially in the big rooms right now, um, anywhere for a while. As, as an education guy, I would love to see it because... Um, it, Teaching professors new software sometimes is difficult. Let's say hmm. something yeah. happens to a, something happens to a person when they get more than two PhDs. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and I, I, may, <laughs> I may end up eating my words on this one, but you remember the other story we talked about with Apple and and, mm-hmm. and their problems and things like that. That's my concern with a room-based PC system. Was if someone doesn't own it and keep it up and make sure that everything is done right, then you could have problems. And so, whereas a dedicated piece of hardware, if somebody doesn't own it and it belongs in the room, I think you'll find the dedicated piece of hardware that only does this is going to be a safer way to go for a period of time. And it's just the same reason why the, the, the those software-based control systems never really took. Everybody was always thinking that you could use a PC instead of a, a, a dedicated piece of hardware as control, and, and mm-hmm. it never really took. No. Yeah. So it it more people people who will try it and and they'll they'll see how far they can take it and it doesn't you can't say it won't work I think it will in some cases but you're gonna really have to watch it I mean if it's a PC based system you know again just looking back in the old days when we were back in in, in uh, nonlinear editing and somebody would put a new program on this computer and screw it up oh yeah and now you know now all of a sudden it doesn't work for nonlinear editing which is that's what it was there for. So those are the kinds of things you have to prepare for if you're going to go down that route. And you wouldn't put those on the Internet for fear of somebody getting a virus on it or something. So Exactly right. And if they just sit there all day long and nobody takes care of them and nobody upgrades them and all that, that's the concern. And if you have a plan around that and you can really kind of, kind of lock down on it, then that's a different situation. But, again, you don't have that concern with hardware. It, it's dedicated to do that. It's it's not going to get a virus. It's not going to have people putting other software on it. It's going to do what it's supposed to do, and be there when you're ready for it. Yeah. So. All right. Well, that's going to do it uh, for this week. Uh, that gentleman there is uh, Paul Depperschmidt. He is the global business development manager for the AV market for Cisco. Thank you for uh, for joining us, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How can people find you? Do you have uh, social media or or Cisco's uh, social media or website? 
Uh, you know, I do, I do have, I have a Skype address, but it's a, you know, they can actually just send me an email if they like. It's at p d e p p e r s at cisco.com. There we go. Paul Deverschmidt from uh, from Cisco. Also with us is Steve Greenblatt. He is the president and founder and grand poobah of Control Concepts. <laughs> Tell folks how how they can get a hold of you, sir. I can be reached on uh, many social media uh, platforms at Steve Greenblatt. Twitter, LinkedIn, so forth. And you are teaching a class or two at Infocom 2013. Yep, yep. I have a class on implementing the energy management standard at Infocom 13. So hopefully you can see some people there. All right. So if, you, if, uh, if you'd like to see uh, or hear, hear and see Steve uh, teach a class, uh, sign up for those classes. Uh, and last but not least, he's not teaching a class, at least not at Infocom. Uh, his name is George Tucker. <laughs> he is the engineering coordinator for World Stage. How can people find you, sir? Uh, go to any social media platform, Tucker Twos, and I will be there. Any social media platform? Any social media platform. Friendster? I think it is there, yes, Bebo? actually. I don't know about that one. Orbitz, right. Ning. Ning, I did have one for a number you of did years. Have, yes, I, I did. Why do I not? Why am I not surprised? When they started making you pay, I got I got off of it. But if you don't know what Ning is, go Google it. It'll take you five um, minutes, and you'll be bored. <laughs> do we not also forget though that Mr. Greenblatt is a co a co host yes. of uh, the State of Control, a he show is. on Aviation. He is. He is. I'm what just a fabulous. Show, I'm I going to say. retire. I'll just let you guys do your thing. <laughs> uh, yes, coming up on our third episode. We it are be a lot of fun. We are. We are. That one should be very uh, provocative. Let's just say. Um, so yeah, we have a couple different shows, uh, and, and we we have some some retooling of some old ones. So uh, so yeah, check out the website. The new one though is a state of control with uh, with Mr. Greenblatt. Also uh, a recurring uh, a recurring uh, um, uh, instance of Uncle Richie Fergosa. Uh, from Fergosa Design out in uh, in San Francisco, so Silicon Valley actually. Uh, so yeah, it's a good show. I'm very very proud of of the work that Steve's done. So um, I just sit here Thanks. and ask stupid questions. So uh, <laughs> and, you know, make jokes. So uh, and that would be me. My name is Tim Albright. Um, don't follow me. Go to our website and uh, and follow us here. The the guys here do do an awful good job. Steve is one of them. George is another. Matt Scott, Don Mead, Michael Drainer, um, the guys at DIY, um, and, and the other shows that we have. So check those out. Avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You can check this show out. Others are social, are social media, which is Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn. Go by the LinkedIn site and, and join the group, and you'll get, um, you'll get uh, the weekly updates and when the shows come down. And also, I think we're one of five people still left on Google+. So avnation.tv thanks so much for listening that is all the time we have for AV Week